If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 409 of the Severe MMA Podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan and I'm not joined today by Graham McDonald. I'm joined by Spencer Kite as we do a State of the UFC address. Um, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, we best go through every division and have a look at it. And Spencer's a great guy to, to do that. Obviously, he uh, covers the UFC uh, as closely or more closely than anyone on on earth I would say at this stage so he's absolutely to great uh, he's absolutely great to have on and we will go through uh, all of that here over the next uh, hour hour and a half two or three hours or so or so um if you're thinking, oh, where's our news? Where's our recaps and all? There's no, obviously, UFC this weekend, but we will have a recap uh, of Bellator and whatever else goes down on uh, uh, Tuesday morning, I think. So I think myself and Ian are going to drop on to that and do that. So that'll be over on Patreon, but we, I think I'll put it out for free. So uh, patreon.com forward slash severe my podcast. But if you see it and click it, you'll be able to listen to it for free. But before we get into all of that, we must tell you that spring has sprung and our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming, have the best tools for some spring cleaning in your pants. Trust me, your confidence will be blooming like flowers. Look your best this spring and join the other 8 million men who trust Manscaped. Use the promo code SEVERMMA to get 20% off and free shipping over at our friends at manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 is what you need if you're going there. So if it's the very first time you've ever been there, that's what you need to look for. They have everything in this one big package. Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. The weed whacker for your ear and nose here, the crop uh, preserver ball, deodorant, literally, you know, that deodorant for the balls, crop reviver, similar sort of thing, but on the go, a little spray, if you're out at a, at a function or something like that, if you pop back to your room. They also have the boxer briefs and the travel bag as well. If you are going to a function, if you are going to a wedding, if you are going to an event, you can bring that with you. It's absolutely fantastic. Before you go, you need to lose use the Lawnmower 4.0. It's waterproof and equipped with an LED light. Absolutely fantastic. It has these uh, advanced skin safe technology. It's designed to trim hair on loose skin. Uh, we, and although your balls may look like punching bags, you don't need to treat them like that have you ever met someone who finds nose hairs attractive absolutely not so the weed whacker to trim those nose hairs to trim those ear hairs it provides that again the advanced proprietary skin safe technology which helps reduce nicks snags tugs and all of that in those delicate areas then we have the deodorant the crop preserver and the toner the crop reviver my personal favourites, everyone knows, I've said it now many times in this, I absolutely love them, they'll change the game, they'll just bring the hygiene to the next level, they're absolutely brilliant, and if you purchase now, you'll receive the two free gifts of the boxer briefs, and the travel bag to put everything in, that travel bag, honest to God, and I, I 
I had an old travel bag that I used to have for years and I switched it out for the Manscaped Shed travel bag and honestly, the best decision I made. It's, it's just a little... Do you know what I like about it? It's long. There's a little, there's a, a little bit of stretching and if you want to put something in it, you want to put a good bit of stuff in it, very, very good. It has the... It has uh, the... Um, the handle kind of on the end as well, so you can hold it up right, right like that when you're bringing it around. Love that. So all you always use the right tools for the job and head over to their website and check out all their tools to help you upgrade your hygiene routine right now. So say 20% and get free shipping with the code SEVERMA at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVERMA, S-E-V-E-R-E-M-M-A at manscaped.com, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Your balls will thank you. All right, Spencer, let's get straight into it. So, um, well, do you know what? I used to ask the question to everyone before on the podcast, before I had other guests. Now it's just the two of us doing it. We've just, just taken this podcast away from any other possible guest. Maybe we need a third sometime, although it'll be four hours if we do that. But I, I like it the way it is. How, the state of the UFC. What's the state of the UFC right now? And do you know what? And I'll preface this question by saying, I don't think... And you may correct me if I'm wrong, but have we ever had a time where there's been as many pay-per-views in this quick succession? It feels like there's almost a pay-per-view every two weeks, and you know we know there's reasons behind that because of Australia and all these different things. But what's your state of the UFC now? It feels like we've had a very good start to the year in terms of lots of big fights, and maybe not getting caught up as I t- tend to do, and a lot of maybe negative people like me t- tend to do get caught up. Oh no, here's another fucking fight night, and plus we've a week off this week as well. I think it's been a good positive start to the year for the like the state of the UFC and the state of the UFC fandom. What's your opinion on that? I think the same. I had a piece come out this week on OSDB Sports basically talking about that. Q1 has been really solid in terms of we've gotten those four pay-per-views. As you said, that's sort of abnormal for this time of year. We have another one coming up next week. So we'll have five done inside of like whatever it is, 14 weeks, I think, 13, 14 weeks of 2023 a lot of the fight night cards that have been mixed in there yes we've had some not great ones or some ones where we've had main events fall out and things of that nature but we also had you know aaron blanchfield submitting jessica andrage and we had marab dwalashvili against Piotr jan and we just had Corey sanhagen and marlon vera and we've had some great finishes and we've had some entertaining fights and to me my hope is that this carries out throughout the rest of the year, that this is just sort of like the appetizer to the main course of the next six months that are really great because the end of the year for the UFC traditionally is pretty strong as well, right? That November, December run where we do Madison Square Garden and then December is usually a fight night event to celebrate the V Foundation on ESPN, a pay-per-view, and then a solid fight night card to close out the year. So if we can get this middle stretch, this next six month stretch, which should be great, right? It's the 30 year anniversary. The UFC has been planning a bunch of bigger things and doing a bit more this year to celebrate those things. International fight week. We know it's going to be big. It feels like we're setting up for a really great year. It it feels like it does because like, it, I think it satisfies what everyone kind of wants because like we have McGregor come back. We have Jones back. But we also have like all the champions seemingly, um, obviously we get into that, that's what the whole point of this podcast is, but a lot of those champions with the next contenders, uh, even if we don't like them, we know them and we kind of know what's coming up in a lot of these divisions, maybe more than usual. And I think that's a good thing. 
and then we have like all the up and comers as well and different uh, different sort of people. Come here before we get into the divisions as well. Are you able to keep a track of all the fighters in the UFC? Like I, it's something I pride myself on before, and I thought it was. Uh, you know, I thought it was almost a prerequisite of doing this job, and now it's something I've kind of just given up on because I think it's it's almost an impossibility. And you know, I have to do PFL and Bellator and Cage Warriors and the Irish scene as well as all of that. It's all, it's a little bit tougher, but like all these contender series fighters, all the the fighters coming in, said like not only like the fighters coming in from the Cage Warriors or from this part of the world, but from America, from Canada, from you know the Middle East, from Australia, from wherever else it is in the world, uh, you know, Central Europe and other places as well it's I just feel like it's such a hard time to actually give up and we almost have to wait for lads to prove themselves or you know maybe they're they're lucky kind of like a Mokhaev or like an Ian Gary that they kind of already have a name by the time they get there or you know a Chandler or whoever it might be um that, that part of MMA at the moment, I, th- I feel like it's something we adjusted to, and it's something like, I don't, I know, and we've discussed it on this before, but it's something a lot of people didn't like, and now I don't want to get into that again, because we just, we've had that debate enough, but to actually keep a track of it, and to keep a track of who's good and who's bad, I suppose that's kind of your MO, and that's, that's what yeah, you do. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sort of the wrong person <laughs> to ask, because my responsibility every single week that there is, is a fight card is to put together the fight by fight preview. But is it hard so to do that, I, I suppose? It. Do you know, for me, it's not because for the most part, for whatever reason, the way my brain is wired is I can remember these things because they are central to my day to day, because they are central to my passion. It sticks in my head. When I was a kid growing up, I was able to remember odd sports facts about like players and athletes and their, you know, the stats on the back of their sports cards and things like that, because those were the things I cared about the most that was the focus of my life. MMA is now obviously the focus of my life. The UFC is the focus of my life. And so I remember these guys and for every one or two brand new fighters, every event, one of them is usually somebody that I've already known because as you said, they've come through cage warriors or they've come from one of the major promotions here in the United States or in Canada or something of that nature. And so to then be able to go out and find so like Yanel Ashmo's fought in London against Sam Patterson, scored a great knockout. He was one of those few people that I was like, never heard of this guy. What do I need to know? Well, he's fought in quality promotions over the last couple of events. And so I can go and find him on Fight Pass and I can go and look at his topology and then sort of do that deep dive through and figure sure out not, some sure stuff dog, that I please. need to Sure dog. Sure dog. I'm sorry. My apologies. <laughs> I could go and do that deep dive through and find out what I need to know. But I understand that I am, as always, the outlier in this because I am paying attention and writing about every single fighter on every single card. And so it is difficult. I I will be the first to admit for everybody that it is difficult because the roster is just so massive now. Like it's it's 500 plus fighters that are active, that are churning through. And I think part of that, and Harry and I talked about it on the takeaways this past week, it's just that 13, 14, 15 fight card every single week that if we dial that back a little bit, if we get that to 11 or 12, that's six fighters every event that we're like, okay, we can learn about them later and have a little more time, a little more bandwidth to pay attention to these 12 sets that are here or the 11 sets of fighters that are here. Whereas 15 just gets daunting for somebody that it like I'm in this every single week 
And I will acknowledge it's daunting. And so for somebody that's just looking to sit down and enjoy on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening, whatever it may be to come and go, I don't know half of these people. I can't catch up now is really challenging. And the big issue comes when someone has fought seven times in the UFC and you've probably watched all seven fights and you're like, I've never seen that person before. <laughs> and that happens all the time now, like all the time. But anyway, we'll, uh, I suppose we leave that point. But like, it, it is an interesting point to, to make and talk about. Because like myself and Graham were talking about on the, the, the podcast the other day, uh, or last week or maybe two weeks ago, about like uh, the oversaturation thing was like a big issue a few years ago. And it feels like we've just kind of stopped talking about it for a good few years. And now in all the problems we said it might incur have incurred, basically, and here we are. But as I said, we still have Jones, we still have McGregor, we still have Brandon Moreno, and he is the flyweight champion. Let's get into the flyweight division. Who's he going to fight next? Like, is It feels like at flyweight, right? We, we had the, the Perez-Cape fight, which would have probably, if Cape had won, it probably moved him in to the top four, maybe top five. We have Mohamed Mikhaev, who is 12th now. He got a name that wasn't in the rankings, and I feel like that could have moved him up. And I feel like he, uh, you know, you spoke to him and he said it to you a couple of weeks ago that he wants to be the youngest UFC champion. But now he's injured, saying he's not injured, but we, he has to be fucking injured. And it's kind of slowed him down a bit. Obviously, Pantoja is probably the next one. It looks like Figueroa's gone up in the division. Skycar Francis already had his shot. This division, right, is a division I look at, and I, I, I suppose I started with the question of who's going to be next, and I kind of half answered it myself, but it also feels like a division that has a lot of talent, but it needs like a year almost to figure itself out. It needs uh, a Cape to go on a three-fight run. It needs an Albazi to go on a three-fight run. It needs a Makayev to go on a three-fight run against those other guys I just mentioned, Ara Nicolau, Ara Rival, Ara Kai Cara France, to kind of settle who is the next guy. Like we see at Welterweight, we have a few guys like that. We see at Lightweight, we have a couple of guys like that as well. Whereas at Flyweight, we don't really have a lot of guys like that. Look, the Pantoja one makes sense because of the history between him and Moreno, but it does feel like a division with a lot of talent, a very good division. I'm absolutely not criticizing division here. It just needs a little bit of figuring out, doesn't it? I think it does, but I also think it's going to get that time because it does. It looks like Brandon Moreno isn't going to fight again until probably September. That's sort of the timeline he's looked at, right? He's fought a bunch in the last couple of years. He's now won the title. He's settling in at the top of the division. Give him the time. Pantoja, as you said, seems like the logical opponent. They have history. Beat him in the Ultimate Fighter. Beat him in the UFC as well. Was supposed to fight for the title. Before we got into trilogies and quadrologies, Alexandre Pantoja was there and then got hurt in training and had to be replaced. And, and we got to what we got to the thing that I like. And the thing you and I often talk about on this, on this series is sort of making sure to use that time in between to organize things. And so we've got Mateus Nicolau and Brandon Royville set to fight here in April. We've got Kai Kara France and Amir Albazi set to fight in the next couple of months as you said, we were supposed to have Manel Cape and Alex Perez, which would have helped clarify some of that stuff. We've even got, you know, Tim Elliott going to fight Alan Nascimento. We just had Jake Hadley fight. We're going to get some more of these sort of moving parts. We've had Bruno Silva come back and, and get a victory. We're going to get over these next six months in between now and, and when Moreno and Pantoja most likely step in there in a championship fight, we should have 
a little bit clearer picture of who's next. I would think that the winner of the Brandon Royval Matias Nikolaou fight would probably be next in line. But even if you wanted to say, great, if we can match up the winner of that and the winner of Kai Kara France and Amir Albazi in a number one contender, sign me up. We're going to get to a point. It then gives kind of the guys behind it. And you mentioned Makayev. Obviously, he wants to get there. We would love to see him get there. We would love to see him get a chance. I can't believe that he's not going to need more than six to eight weeks to deal with everything that he went through in London with his with his knee. But it's shaping up. And I, I think we will get the time over the next six months to get a little bit more clarity provided all these fights that are already booked, make it to the octagon. And then we are able to move forward from there. And it feels like, uh, you know, we've talked about the top of the division there, but it feels like we, we constantly look at these divisions and think who's going to be the next kind of young contender to come through and break into that top 15. And it feels like we already have that in this division with Mikhaev, um, but also with, uh, you know, his fellow Englishman, Jay Caddy. Okay, who's one and one now, but, you know, it just... Two and one, two and one sorry, two and one. Zane, please update this thing. Uh, it feels like he he is one of the guys, you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys in this division who... I have won a good few fights, and like the you know um, uh, Albazis, like the rivals, who and I said they need to win those three fights in a row as well. But those lads on the way up, like Mikhaev, like Hadley, could quickly overtake them if they do that in front of them. So I think it's a very interesting vision for that because the younger kind of guys are on the way up and are kind of ready, I suppose, to uh, to take that spot if they need it and. Uh, well, and they're like they're that. active. That's yeah. the other part of it, right? Like Jake Hadley has had a couple fights here in the last six months and a couple good wins. Makayev wants to fight every four to six months. Um, Tatsuro Tyra has another fight booked. He's already 3-0 in the UFC. And so you're getting these younger fighters that are in their early to mid-20s that are just like, great, I will fight every four months keep gaining experience, keep piling up wins, keep building momentum in a division where as, as great as it is, it's also not super deep. And so once you get to three, four, five wins, if you have that little bit of momentum, then you're fighting the Tim Elliott's and the guys in the lower third of the top 15 and a win there catapults you into the top 10. So it doesn't take the same length of time or amount of victories. And there's not as many potential landmines as there are, at lightweight or welterweight or bantamweight that are going to trip you up along the way. Like it's not unreasonable to think that Muhammad Makayev runs through two more opponents and is into the top five, into a top five fight or Tatsuro Tyra goes out and has two more wins and is fighting somebody in the, in the top 15, either at the end of this year or early next year to where we're talking about a 23, 24 year old fighter on the cusp of contention again. And that's what makes this division exciting. Let me ask you about women's strawweight because this is another division. I feel, and you know what? I think a big issue with this division is there's been so many champions. Let's just say it feels like the belt has kind of been handed around a little bit. And we have kind of made, done that. Uh, uh, we, we've the same thing at men's lightweight, which I always talk about, although that might be changing a little bit, where we've like seven interim champions from the past just hanging around there in the top 15. And like, you look at, at, at you know, the, the top of this division, Zhang Weili, obviously champion, 
Carla Sparza Farmer Chef And obviously she's pregnant now as well So she's out of the mix for a while Congratulations to, to her and her partner Rosanam Yunus at, at two Number four uh, Is Jessica Andraj And then we Obviously we go, we go down along and, and Tatiana Suarez is on the way back Whether she's going to come back down Or a 125 or wherever it might be we, We'll discuss that But what what's next for Zhang Weili? Like, uh, there's no, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but no fight has been announced, has it? Who's who's she going to fight next? Is I suppose a simple question. Nothing has been announced, and and my guess would be that the UFC was sitting to see what happened at U, at UFC 285. So if Valentina Shevchenko retained her title, was out of was essentially out of obvious opponents. In the flyweight division, Zhang Weili has expressed an interest in moving up. Valentina has expressed interest in facing her. I think that probably would have been something they looked at. You could have booked that for, you know, sometime in the summer, whether that's June, July, August, somewhere in that range. Where June right now is one of the pay-per-views where we don't know where it's going to be officially yet. We don't know what the main event is going to be. And so that feels like it could have been a, a really impactful main event on a June fight card that historically hasn't been a big pay-per-view as such with that not happening. I'm not sure because we don't know what Rose Nama Yunus is doing. As you said, Carlos Barza and her partner announced pregnancy a couple of days ago. Congrats to them. We don't know sort of where everybody is at. I mean, Amanda Lemos feels like she's probably next in line just based on activity and who's around she's coming off a good win over marina rodriguez obviously but that even feels like a bit of a like stretch to kind of shoehorn her into a championship opportunity at this point i think if if rose had come back and fought at any point in the last three months then you could probably look towards that because of the history there as well right she's now looking at a champion that she's beaten twice before and certainly would be interested in getting the title for a third time, set a record there. But there's just nobody right now at the moment that that feels like the obvious choice. And so I I don't think I would be surprised if the UFC just said, you know what, we need to get Zhang Weili a fight. Amanda Lemos is here. She's coming off a good win. She's coming off a good finish. Let's make that fight and see what the rest of the division sorts itself out over these next, again, six months to just sort of figure out Who's moving? Who's coming up? What's Rose doing? Where's Jessica Andrade fighting? And go from there. Here's an overall question on, on the, or maybe a brief discussion we could have on the women's divisions as a whole. Someone asked me in the Q&A this week, it's like the 135-pound division, kind of a dead rubber division now. There like, doesn't seem to be anyone there, like obvious. Uh, I, I know Irene Aldana is getting the shot, isn't, he, isn't she next? But like other than that, and even that, like what's going on there? And it feels like 115, although more talent there, it's uh, a little bit of the, the men's flyweight problem here. I think it just needs to start itself out maybe, but it does feel a bit off the pace as well. Whereas the 125 pound division with the, a few of the names you made there, named there, Blanchfield, uh, Firo, obviously Grasso is the champion. Also, you have Shevchenko as a contender. That's probably as healthy as it's ever been in a division we all thought was like the weakest maybe two years ago. And I remember I had Zane on here and he said, and you've said it as well, but this division is coming along. You know, it's, it's improving and it surely has. 
has that division getting stronger, taken away from the division below it and taken away from the division above it? Or is that, like, is correlations not always causation, obviously, but, like, it feels like it has. It just, to me, it feels like it has. Am I, am I right or am I wrong in that? I think it probably has a little bit. And I was going to say, like, part of the issue is that we've had Tatiana Suarez returns and fights at flyweight, but has said, I want to go back to, to 115. Jessica Andrade has bounced excuse me, bounced around between 115 and 125. Amanda Hebos, same thing where she says, look, 115 is my home, but I need more time to get ready for fights at strawweight. And so if I can take fights on relatively short notice at flyweight, I'm going to do it. That's great for her. That's great for the UFC to book fights, but it's terrible for the strawweight division because this potential contender, same with Andrage, are, are suddenly pulled out of the mix or pulled out of the rotation. And so you can't book them into some of these fights that are going to help move everything around. I don't necessarily think that it's a case of flyweight has taken away from bantamweight necessarily, because we haven't seen a ton of bantamweight fighters that have migrated down to 25, but it's just a case of flat to me. Flyweight is one of the ideal divisions on the women's side of thing. Adam Wade is another one. We don't have it in the UFC, but outside of the UFC, it's a very thriving division with a lot of talent. And I think we're just stuck in a position where some of these middle ground divisions, right? Like we, we always talk about and joke about 45, not being a real division in the UFC. It's just because there's not a population for it. Truthfully, like you would have to take all of the fighters from all of the promotions that have the odd occasional fight at featherweight and put them into the UFC in order to, or whatever promotion you wanted to, in order to have a robust division. And we just don't have that. And I think 35 not having fresh talent isn't necessarily the fault of, of flyweight. Surely there's probably a couple of, of women in that division that if they wanted to not cut weight, if they wanted to move up to test their skills, they certainly could. But it's just, to me, a, a situation where we haven't had any influx of, of new talent in the last little while, both at, at 115 and at 135, while 25 has just continued to have these young athletes come forward and, and make early statements too, like Aaron Blanchfield within a couple of years into the mix, Casey O'Neill prior to her loss, and even through the loss to Jennifer Meyer, who's a former title contender into the mix. Macy Barber had buzz. Miranda Maverick had buzz. Natalia Silva's on the way up. Like there's, there's a bunch of good fighters in that division that have just sort of suddenly we've had that influx and we haven't had that at bantamweight or strawweight in the last little while. It's so true. And uh, we basically kind of got into the 125 pound division here, but like you look at it and it just looks strong when you look at it. Like Shevchenko is obviously going to fight grass on how we would think. And like Firo and Blanchfield, deserve title shots based on what they've done recently. You could argue Talia Santos deserves a title shot again, but that win over Shevchenko now looks a little bit worse because of what Grasso did, which is like the most stupid MMA thing ever. I saw someone doing it yesterday with, well, they did it with Con- someone did it with Connor's wins and then they did it with, um, oh, was it Ken Velasquez's wins? I'm like, these guys are some of the best fighters of all time. What are you doing this like? And you can do it with anyone. You know, I, I did it a couple of weeks ago with DC. I argued good and bad, you know, and you can easily do it for anyone. But anyway, that's a, a slight tangent there, which we won't get into. But 
you've like you've kind of discussed even the midsection of that division there, where Macy Barber, who had a good win over Andrea Lee uh, last weekend, which was close. I, I still I still think there's an upside in Andrea Lee, to be honest. I like Andrea Lee, and I feel like she's someone who, if she puts a little bit together, could go on her own. She's athletic. She's better on the ground now. She's good striking. And Macy Barber, like Macy Barber as well, you can't give up the athleticism that she has. I think Aharuja is similar as well, but you pointed it out to me before, maybe a little bit older. That's going to be an issue with Aharuja, but maybe Barber can take that mantle. Now she has the experience as well. So not only do we have Blanchfield, Firo, Santos having taken up that position you now have maybe Calvillo can make a comeback maybe Lee can put a few fights together you know Casey Neal obviously got a setback but she you wouldn't write her off you wouldn't write Macy Barber off you wouldn't write Ebass off there's a lot of people and I like I you know I like Tracy Cortez an awful lot. I think she's probably one of the best overachievers probably one of the most improved fighters and overachiever sounds bad but one of the most improved fighters in the UFC over the last while that and you have the Chukagan Murphy in there as well who are going to test all of them on the way up that's a fucking, right. that division is great. It's honestly really great, isn't it? it it's built exceptionally well. It, it's developed into a really well-crafted sort of, you have contenders and challengers and, and tests at every division, along with young emerging talent at every tier. And so that to me was always the thing that made lightweight and welterweight great back in the day. It's what makes bantamweight amazing right now. And it's why flyweight is my opinion, the best female division there is right now, because you have that set of established proven contenders like Chukagian, Lauren Murphy, Jennifer Maya, that a young fighter like Casey O'Neill has to go in and, and test herself against and find out, okay, I'm not ready to beat Jen Maya. You have that set right below them of, of veterans that haven't fought for the title, but are still tests like Andrea Lee, like Viviana Ujo who are the tough tests that these younger fighters need to get through. Alexa Grasso had to beat Viviana Ujo to get a title shot, to land a title shot, a championship opportunity. A little bit of, you know, fortuitousness that Manon Firo has a knee injury and isn't ready to go when Val raises her hand and is like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to fight, so bring me somebody. But she had to get through that test. Macy Barber had to get through an Andrea Lee in order to get into that top 10 where she's probably going to have to get through a Lauren Murphy or a Caitlin Chukagian to continue advancing. And so when you get these divisions built this way, where you have at every point, people that are ascending people that are holding steady and even a couple of people like Chukagian, who is probably backsliding a little bit, but is still really talented, certainly capable, as we saw with Jennifer Maya in London, of beating some of these up-and-comers that isn't, aren't quite ready to take that next step, you get just a terrific division. And if everything continues to roll forward and progress and get booked the right way, this can maintain and continue for the next two or three years. I think Kaelin Chukagan should move up because... I, Absolutely, I think one or two fights she'd be right in there because yep. that 135 pound division. Why not? Is bad. because yep. like Pena is she going like uh, so? Alana's fighting Nunes next, right? So Pena's not getting the re immediate rematch. Then you've Raquel Pennington, who has. Do you know what Raquel Pennington? Another one who's massively overachieved in her career, but like she's had her opportunity. Holly Holm, great win at the weekend. She's had her opportunity. It's going to take a while back. 
we have Vieira who lost, you know, recently. She lost Aldana, didn't she? If um, my gun matter, did that happen? She lost. She lost to yeah. Raquel Pennington. Or to Pennington, yeah, she did. And then you're down to Anna Santos, Pennykins, at Messi. Like this division is. There's nothing there, really, is there? Like, is there is there anyone I'm missing? Is there any good, really good up and comers? I'm sure there's a couple, like, but this division just seems like it has hit a really bad place and it's going to take a while to recover from it. Plus, we have 145 on which we can throw in here as well. That's Look, we all know it's not really a division, but it's just... Look, Amanda Nunes lost a couple of fights ago. She looked... I almost worse even in her last fight because you can't write that off as a bad night. Like I, I, I could see Rena Aldana beating her honestly if she fights the, the way she did in the last two fights again. If she loses that, what are they going to do with one forty-five? Well, like the future of these two divisions, I think, is really up in the air at the moment, and not really in a positive way. What, what do you think is is going to happen if you have to predict it over the next year or so? It's not a great outlook. And I've been saying this for probably, we've been talking about this for probably a year now. There just isn't anyone at Bantamweight that's coming forward that feels like a vibrant potential contender. Carol Hosa for the longest time was the only fighter under 30 that hadn't really ascended into that top 10 space into those bigger fights. She's now got a fight at featherweight coming up against Norma Dumont. She had lost a couple fights at Bantamweight previous to this. I mean, Arena Aldana getting a shot if she is, in fact, next in line. Great. It's a it's a fresh name. It's a new contender. Happy to see it. But beyond that, like, as, as much as I'm appreciative of Raquel Pennington's five-fight winning streak and everything she's done since that first meeting with, with Amanda Nunes, and I look at that first fight, and look, a lot happened prior to that fight that I think she deserves another opportunity because coming off a you know, 18-month, 19-month layoff, horrific ATV accident where she nearly lost her leg, nearly lost her career, to then go to Brazil and face in her prime at the peak of her powers, Amanda Nunes is just a terrible assignment. And I think she's improved since then, so I wouldn't mind seeing her get another, another opportunity. But it's just stuck in that position that we talk about with middleweight all the time of everybody's having to get through sort of this last end gauntlet meat grinder, the same name situation where Ketlin Vieira gets a good, you know, a, a debated win, but a good win over Holly Holm. And instead of that being a thing that launches her into a championship opportunity, she has to face Raquel Pennington and Raquel Pennington beats her. And that still doesn't catapult Raquel Pennington into a title opportunity. She's probably going to have to fight again but I don't know who it's going to be unless it's Juliana Pena, which is probably the fight to make. Who's it going to be? Cause she's already fought and lost to Ollie home twice. And I don't need to see it a third time. And then you look at the rankings, you look at sort of where the division is at. Yana Santos is number six. And so you talk about, you asked about sort of who's on the way up. Myra Buena Silva is the only sort of newer, fresher name. She's got a fight with Misha Tate coming up. If she gets through that, I think she gets a little bit of a, a catapult. She's she's talked after her last win of like, look, I'm finishing people. I'm getting these good wins. Like, why do I have to really wait my turn? Like, nobody in front of me has really done anything that impressive. So get me in there. But even her, I'm not, I'm not sitting here like chomping at the bit to see her fight for a championship. Like, 
unless Amanda Nunes has regressed horrifically, I think she still beats her. And so it's going to take somebody that we're not expecting having a tremendous performance. Like Macy Chasson is somebody that I've always sort of looked at as a, she could be something still kind of young in her career, still kind of inexperienced. Every time she feels like she's gaining momentum, something weird happens. Like she gets kicked in the liver by Irene Aldana in a fight that she's winning and just gets KO'd from an up kick to the guts. And so yes, I'd forgotten about that nearly. Want to knock out that one? Right. Like we're, yeah, yeah. we're just not, we're every time it feels like we're on the precipice of something interesting happening, it goes sideways. And so who knows? It feels like the exact opposite is the case in the men's 135 pound division because that is just, that's the best division in the UFC, I would say. It's so great. Uh, Aljamain is obviously fighting the, the champion he's fighting against Henry Cejudo coming up I think it's on the 6th of May if I'm not mistaken we have Marab Philly, who is the teammate of Sterling and won't fight him but like <laughs> is almost lapping lads at this stage is almost like it looks like they want to well do they want to make the Corey Sandhagen fight next maybe I, I, here look we'll, we'll get into all that Sterling Dash Philly stuff, like how does that work itself out? Because this is not going to end well. It's going to end with tears in some way. Because like, do we think they're all going to keep winning? Sterling will win his next couple of fights, move up the featherweight, and then Dash Philly's going to take the title. Right, that's great. They can both have titles. They both be hugging. You know, why can't we be friends? You know, walking into the sunshine and all that. That's not going to happen. And then, do you know what the big issue here is? Right, if Sahudo wins. If Cejudo wins and Josh Philly is ranked number one in the division, right? Okay, we all think O'Malley's probably going to get the nut shot, but let's let's just forget about him for a second. Let's say Marab gets it. Is Sterling going to be like, wait, hold on? Every champion has been getting immediate rematches. I should be getting the immediate rematch here. Yet Marab is getting the fight over me. Am I going to have to move to one forty-five now? And I'm not moving to one forty-five in the way I wanted to move to one forty-five, which would have been directly into a title shot as champion. Now I'm moving in, and I'm probably going to have to fight fucking Brian Ortega to get my shot. I'm probably going to have to fight Arnold Allen to get my shot, or fucking Max Holloway. Because Arnold Allen's going to be Max Holloway and still have to fight more people to, before he gets a title shot. Exactly. Because there's an interim title fight to be made in that division still. <laughs> oh, God almighty. But that's... Christ. That's it, isn't yeah. it? Like, it's it, yeah. what's going to happen there? It just can't end well with them two. I mean, best case scenario for that team, for that camp, for those two guys has to be Aljo beat Henry Cejudo, and then just says right then and there, I'm going to featherweight. I'm leaving this belt here. Marab can come and get it. He can fight whoever you want to put in there for the interim title opposite my guy. And I'm going to be the backup fighter for the title unification fight at featherweight. And whoever comes away with those titles, I got them next. Poor old if fucking means, Arnold Allen. If that means I sit out nine months, fine. But I'm coming up as a champion. I'm trying to be a two-weight champion. All of that stuff. Is that going to happen? I don't know. But well, why would you the, take the, the that one chance, thing I though? do like, like is uh, that Marab wants to stay active. It, yeah, that, I do like that. But like we discussed it on this on the podcast a few weeks ago, right? and I put out a tweet, and people were giving out to me because it's oh you're sucking off McGregor or whatever. But like you look at all these fighters that have tried to do that, right? And he is one of you know, very few who've actually been able to do it. Like, 
it's not if I'm Elgermen Sterling right and I look at the history of Volkanovsky moving, Aldo moving, Edgar moving, all these lads who have moved and think I'm just gonna be a champion the next it just doesn't happen, right? It just it very rarely happens. Why would you not stay in your division? You're a hundred and thirty five pounder, you've an advantage over a lot of those guys, you're beating them. For some other lad who's just happens to be in your gym, I am telling you, he's a good friend, and I appreciate it, but he shouldn't be a fucking idiot either. This is his career. This is his life. And I wouldn't be moving out the way for another lad just because I'm friends with him. Like, I, I don't know. So I know I know that the weight cuts are, are miserable. And, like, as always, in honor of our friend Harry Powell, fuck weight cutting. Indeed. But, like, Aljo walks around way bigger than you want to be to fight at 35. And so as he continues to get older, he's 33 now be 34 later this year i get it you want to go up but as you said the history of of people trying to do this there's a reason it's an exclusive group and we celebrate that exclusive group it's really goddamn hard to do and then to look at the landscape at featherweight if you're going to try to do it as aljamain sterling and go up and challenge for the featherweight title you've got to wait for yair rodriguez to get his fight with alex volkanovsky which as of right now isn't booked. We don't know when it's going to happen. My guess would be sometime this summer, probably either if they do a second July show there, or if they do, you know, August again, somewhere in, in that range. But then we have the Max Holloway, Arnold Allen fight next month. And if Arnold wins that fight, he sure as hell better be getting a championship opportunity. And so, as you said, are you going up as, as the bantamweight champion and having to face Arnold Allen or Brian Ortega and not going right into a championship fight. Like maybe you do stick around and, and ride it out and see, like I went on uh, a show with the all-stars with, with JHK over the weekend. And we talked about like, it would just be great to see these two actually fight. Like for the longest time, the teammates not fighting thing was always with the caveat of unless it's for a title. I respect the hell out of these two guys being like, Nope, not even for the title. But like, why not? Like everybody gets paid. We get this thing out of the way. We get it over and done with. The belt stays in the family. Like I'm not advocating for we get the finger poke a doom or anything, but like. You guys mix it up in the gym every day. Mm-hmm. Like why not just go out there and get paid and have a, have a grappling match in the center of the octagon where it's just competitive and fun and entertaining. I mean, JHK and I went full pro wrestling and we're like, one of them needs to turn heel and smash the other with a chair, super kick them through the barbershop window and all of these things. But like, why not just do it? You're in a position where at most you're waiting two fights to do it. Like Sean O'Malley is waiting in the wings. He's probably getting the next title shot. So if you're Marab, Aljo's fighting next month. Then you get the Sean O'Malley fight, let's say later in the year, you could be fighting your guy for the title at the end of at early next year at the worst February. Like why, why not? Instead, you're going to risk your spot by chasing a Corey Sanhagen fight that look after the way he, he looked against Piotr Jan. I'm not counting Marab out of any fight. He is suffocating. He is relentless. I love watching him fight, but like, this friendship thing is going to put you in a spot where you're not going to be fighting for championship gold. And even if you're Aljo and you're talking about going up, like 
the grass isn't always greener and you're probably going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait a while too. So like everybody's waiting around when we can just do championship fights. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That's true. Um, well, I think we talked a lot about 135 pounds, obviously, because we had the, the, you know, the, the, the fights over the last couple of weeks, uh, with the, the Sandhagen fight, the Ann fight, the Vera fight, you know, obviously fighting and Josh Philly as well. So we kind of, we understand that. I think we've talked about it very recently. Just before we move on to 145, who are the guys, say, borderline top 15, just outside the top 15? If you'd even one name to give us who we should be looking at, like, who is it? Who is the guy? Mario Batista. Had a great win earlier this month. He's won four straight. The last three are first round submissions. He is the latest in a long line of young fighters that have progressed through the amateur ranks and sort of the developmental program at the MMA lab. He's a complete fighter. He's six and one in his last seven. He debuted against Corey Sanhagen on short notice, lost that fight. Fine. These things happen in MMA. He's six and one since then. And he's looked outstanding these last couple of fights. I mean, suplexed Guido Canetti and then caught him in transition on the choke to finish him here a couple of weeks ago. Just one of these, another one of these young, quiet, well-rounded killers that nobody's really checking for right now, but he's going to end up getting a top 15 matchup next time out, I would imagine. And he's somebody that can go out there and and put another victory up. And then all of a sudden people are going to be like, wait a minute, where'd this kid come from? That he's got five straight wins and he just choked out Dominic Cruz or Cody Garbrandt or somebody that you know, and suddenly he's facing, he's, he's joining into that mix with cousin Umar and Ricky Simone as these ascending names to pay close attention to in the bantamweight division. I, I love a bit of Umar. I lie. I think he is uh, not necessarily to pick it a bunch because uh, Usman over in uh, over in Bellator is pretty good, but he is he is. I damn mean that. Good. So so they were trying to make Murab Dwalishvili against Umar to make a battle. I, I kind of predicted May. that at the start of the year. You like did. that's, that's you a did tough fight. Predict that at the start of the year. I recall, mm-hmm. and so. I think Team Marab was like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. We're Corey Sanhagen said he wants to fight us. We'll do that. That that makes way more sense to us. Like, which well, I think is a very good decision. It probably is. Like, what happens against Marab against the guy who's like probably better wrestling than him and can strike very well? Who as just well. happily welcomes the yeah, <laughs> happily welcomes the oh, grappling chaos. I want to see that fight. I want to see that fight. Anyway, let's move on to one forty-five. I'm just looking through the divisions here, right? Let me just throw this at you, Spencer. Right? Is the best champion in the UFC at 145, possibly, in Volkanovski, right? Is maybe the, the most exciting guy to hold the belt in the UFC at the moment at 145, Inyo Rodriguez? Maybe. He might be. Is like the best guy who doesn't hold the belt in the UFC at 145 in Max Holloway? Maybe. He might be. Is the, the most obvious contender in the UFC at 145 at the moment in Ireland Allen with a 10-fight win streak or whatever it is? Probably. Is the best contender in the UFC in Aliyah Taporia in the 145-pound division in the UFC at the moment? Probably. And yet the 145-pound division just seems like, <laughs> what's going on here? Like, where, where, like it's fucking brilliant. Like, this, from, Aliyah Taporia is ranked number fucking nine. How is he so far down? Is what I want to know, first of all. But this division, and I, it's been this way since McGregor's time. It feels like it's just on pause the whole time. And I need, I, we need like a one-night tournament. We need an eight-man tournament and all, or something like that in this featherweight division just to get it fucking going. Come on, lads. What we needed was Alex Volkanovsky not going up and challenging for the lightweight title. Probably, yeah. And and as much as I understood it 
and adored that fight. And Harry makes this point every week on the takeaways. That fight has changed the fabric of MMA. And we're seeing things from that fight that people are already implementing into their games that are, are changing dynamic interactions in the sport. And so it will have a long-standing, long-lasting impact going forward. But like we didn't need an interim title. We needed Yair Rodriguez to get his obligatory championship opportunity out of the way in Perth against Alexander Volkanovsky so that we could get to Arnold Allen getting his deserved opportunity instead of fighting Max Holloway that we could keep the rest of these things going. The other thing that is always sort of screwed up this division or held up this division at times is that critical fighters, critical names in this upper echelon can't stay healthy. Josh Emmett has had stretches where he's been injured and he's been sidelined for extended periods. Ryan Ortega currently on the shelf since that fight in July with Yair dealing with a shoulder injury. Chan Sung Jung was hurt, couldn't fight in South Korea earlier this year. They had to move an event. He's apparently still on his way back. You know, Calvin Cater has gone through some, some periods where he took a year off after the max fight, came back, fought three times last year and then blew out his knee against Arnold Allen. And so we've just been stuck in this sameness where the guys like Aliyah Tapuria and Mavsari Vloyev, who has had his own injury and health issues, haven't been able to really work forward the way that we've seen fighters do it at bantamweight or, or in that women's flyweight division that we talked about. And so we, I think we just needed Volk not to, not to go up because you, you could probably make the case that he is the, the best champion. And I know that Islam and all Islam followers will be like, well, our guy beat him. So why isn't he the best champion? Well, Volkanovsky went up. That's why in his own division, he is the, as of right now, because we've seen him defend his title several times as of right now, I think you can make that case, but it's crazy for as good as this division is for the last, and, and you and I have talked about it here several times. For the last several years, it has just felt like, oh my God, can we get moving forward? I, I don't know how we do it either. Like, I, I does feel like it needs, like, the the Max fight, uh, that's like next week, isn't it? Or two weeks time or something. A couple of weeks, yeah. Yeah, and there's still no sign of Volkanovski fighting against Ortega. I, I think that's a dangerous thing. Like, what we needed here, uh, why you said this crap, but what we needed really was... Yair Rodriguez not to be in that interim title fight, or yeah. maybe him. We needed Max Ho- yeah. or um, we needed uh, Arnold, Arnold Allen to be in that fight, fight. because if he won, he is the obvious next one. If he lost, fair enough, he's lo- he lost. He is to win another couple of fights. And then Josh Emmett can go on and exactly right. Yeah. So that's what kind of fucked it all up. But I, yep. I I feel like as well in this division, you look at there's certain guys. I remember the la- maybe two times ago we talked about. Say guys like Pat Sabatini. We even this last coming weekend we have uh, Nate Landweir. You know Josh Coolabaugh had a great win over in Australia. I think to go like three and one in in the division or something like that. Yep. A lot of these lads like aren't getting the push. Like even you say Ivalev. Like where's he moving to? Even another couple of wins if he comes back from injury and all that. Like Bryce Mitchell had a setback, but like. All of these lads, even if they do have a setback, they might as well just kind of wait around for a while because there's nothing happening at the moment. But then does anything ever fucking happen? Like, Federer, so, so part of the problem with that yeah. is we're we're getting the squatting on my rankings thing 
starting to happen in this division, right? I just, before you and I jumped on, I read a, read a quote from Brian Ortega saying, yeah, Aliyah Tapuria looks good. He's, he's, he's done well. And if he can earn his way, if he can win his way up to where I'm at, I'll happily fight him. It's like, Brian, I, I love you, dude. I understand that you're four and he's nine. And you think, well, he needs to beat somebody in the, in the interim range there before he fights me. You're coming off a loss, maybe two losses now consecutively was his, was his last fight before and I have to look this up. Please hold. This is wonderful live podcasting. Yeah. Like he's on a two fight losing streak. I don't, I don't think you're in a position where you could be calling shots. And so four and nine, the difference there isn't all that much. He shouldn't have to face whoever is at number seven. Like he shouldn't have to face and beat Josh Emmett before he gets a shot at Brian Ortega, but we're starting to get that where the guys that are up in that upper tier only want to face the guys that are in that upper tier because they see that it got to happen at lightweight forever with your favorite three fighters. And so we're starting to run into that where guys like Aliyah Tapuria, as we saw with Armin Saryukin at lightweight are standing around being like, I want to fight everybody. Like just get me active, but he doesn't want to fight back in the division. Understandably he's earned his way to where he is. And Brian Ortega on two losses is like, yeah, no, I still, I still got clout. I still get to call my shots here. I'm only fighting one of these three or four guys. Give me one of them. And it just, it leads to that ripple effect all the way down the division to where people aren't getting opportunities. And you speak about that and let's get the 155 because that's what I feel like it's been happening for a long time. But you look at the other side of that, then that Gaethje fights uh, against Fiziev. Wins, wins the fight in somewhat controversial fashion, although it, it feels like uh, people didn't understand why it was kind of controversial fashion. But anyway, um, and he puts himself back in that mix. Like even for me, someone who's a massive critic of that whole thing, he puts himself back in that mix. And at lightweight, I think it's it's another division, right, where we have a f- an unnecessary fight with a former champion. Now, I feel bad for Oliveira. I feel bad for Holloway because they have to fight someone and they deserve a big fight at the top of the division. But like I, I saw, um, I saw Jeff Nowitzki gave uh, uh, Benil Dariush his jacket today for 50 tests. And someone in the comments section said under it, ah, Benil having to do something 50 times before he gets recognition. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, that's the best tweet I've ever seen because it feels like he's going to have to win fucking 50 fights to get, but like why are the UFC not making these fights that are so obvious like the Arundana one as well right not getting in the interim shot they said because like oh he was injured and he's not going to be able to make that time so like you're moving on you're putting that lad back fucking 18 months in his career because he's injured for a couple of weeks like what is going on here like and, and it all goes back to what we said at the start oversaturation they have to fill these cards they need a title fight we'll make an interim at featherweight because the champion's gone up oh the guy who's most obvious to put in there is injured oh well shucks that's bad on him we're going to make these two other one lad hadn't has won one fight in the last fucking three years and they're putting him into it and now he's the interim champion over a guy with 10 wins in a row it's just bizarre but at lightweight at lightweight it feels like they didn't even have that issue they just decided to fuck Benil Darius around for no apparent reason like and there isn't an obvious number one contender like if he loses probably probably is Gaethje now again if we're being honest like Paria's sitting around doing nothing like they're not going to make that Charles fight again surely I mean, Darius, this is, again, it goes back to, and, and I hate saying this because I love Alexander Volkanovsky so much, 
But if he doesn't go up, Dariush probably gets that shot, right? He probably gets first crack at Islam. And it makes sense. They were supposed to fight last year, last 100%. February. And that fight fell apart because Benny got hurt. And fine, that's been sort of the thing. Like, we need to acknowledge that, right? When we do the, like, Benil Dariush has to go through 50 fights and 50 tests. He's gotten hurt at very inopportune times and missed out on big fights that could have propelled him further. These, It sucks. It's part of the reality of this. But they could have done that fight in February. And then Dariush has had his shot. And we figure it out from there. Featherweight keeps rolling forward. If each of those champions win that fight, great. Then we're in a position where maybe it makes more sense to go forward. That would still mean Arnold Allen gets screwed out of a championship opportunity. But this seems to be Arnie's lot in life. And so it's getting there. But yeah, like for as good and as as deep and talented as lightweight is, it doesn't feel like there's any any clear path for anybody right now. It's true. Because you look at a guy like Gamrat, right, who has been winning fights recently, and, you know, I think he dropped one or two in there as well, but still, like, it feels like he could do everything, and he's never going to get that opportunity, because, like, okay, he's number seven at the moment, just below Fiziev, like, Chandler's not going to fight him, he's fighting McGregor. If Darius loses, he could be fucking below him. Gaethje's not going to fight him, Poria's not going to fight him, and Oliveira's probably not going to fight him. Like, how is he actually going to get there? It could be by the grace of the UFC giving him a title shot is the only way. It's just, it's just that division is so good as well. And if he, that, like, in he, I don't know. They almost like, need to get rid of him. I'm, I'm really impressed and really happy that he jumped into that fight with Jalen Turner. It's a good win. It keeps moving forward. But it's the same thing Fazia talked about. It's the same thing that Armin Saryukin has been talking about for a year. None of these guys ahead of them. And and as we said, kudos to Justin Gaethje for finally doing the like, man, I, I think I got to take on one of these dudes and I got to go out and beat them in order to get the things that I want. And he, and he did. And it was a close competitive fight. It's probably the clubhouse leader for fight of the year right now, just overall in terms of entertainment value and people loving it. I'm sure Harry and I could nerd out and make you know, technical arguments for other fights. And we probably will when he hears this at some point. I love you, Harry. I'm sorry to upset you. But like Gamrot's in that position too. Cause as you said, Mike Chandler ain't, ain't looking at that fight. Dustin Poirier ain't looking at that fight. And I mean, even if you want to do like, well, they train together at ATT that can, that can be pushed aside, but he's not, he's not in any hurry to face Armin Saryukin. Like that's just, that's just not a thing that's going to happen. And so you get these guys that are just stuck and then and we got to figure out ways around it. Like Gamrat is the guy who's going to have to probably face Saryukin at Asanyas. I know he just faced Turner. He has fought Saryukin, hasn't he? Oh my God, man. Yeah. Uh, He's going to have to go back instead of going forward, which is is weird but like we, we could get caught up in that all day there's so much talent there as well and it feels like it will work itself out at some stage but it kind of needs to let's talk about Paddy Pimler for a second right because you know this this is the exact opposite of like a, an SEO podcast uh, you know a clickbait podcast or anything like that but Paddy Pimler has you know we always kind of do at the end of these podcasts what's the crack with Nate Diaz what's the crack with Conor McGregor and all that and it feels like we have to do that now with Paddy Pimler. He's putting himself into that position. Here's a quick just anecdote on Paddy Pimler, right? Because, like, we talked about popularity. We'll forget about ability and stuff for a second. Uh, my missus used to watch all the Paddy Pimblet, 
uh, vlogs the whole time. She used to like love him. She used to live in Liverpool before, you know, like reminded her of that. And you're like, oh, this is, you know, he's hilarious. I love Paddy. And we watched one yesterday of him in like the hospital. And she was like, I don't like him anymore. Like, I just, he just, he, he seems to have bought into like his own hype. He seems to like, he's just roaring and shouting, you know, he's not, he used to always kind of tell the truth. And now, like, he's, saying oh Jared good in the shit and you beat me on my worst day and it's on your best day and I was like and I and I didn't say anything to her and I, and I was like that's interesting kind of and I feel like MMA fans think that way but like the f- casual fans of Paddy Pimble as well maybe outside of Liverpool anecdotally anyway are starting to feel that way as well because like this whole Ariel thing that he went through definitely didn't serve him well like Ariel probably like shouldn't be handing out beatdowns like that as an, a member of the MMA community like leave that to the fighters to do <laughs> beatdowns like that uh, and the the podcast with Dana White car crash stuff absolutely awful Then the performance itself which I knew was coming and I think a lot of people who watch Bad Women throughout the years probably knew was coming as well uh, it really uh, and plus he needed an operation he went off on holidays instead of getting it he went off to America instead of getting it, and we're almost four months into the year. He said he could have gotten it before Christmas. Four months into the year, and he gets his operation. It just goes, well, like myself and Harry, uh, to mention Harry again, shout out Harry Paul. Uh, we talked about Paddy Pim before, I think on Speaker's Corner, wherever it might have been, like, if you are not 100% into MMA, in all ways, shapes, or forms, you cannot be... Islam Makachev you cannot be Volkanovsky you cannot be the best fighter in the world and it just feels like that's the mindset the dedication and all is just off for a guy like Paddy Bimblet and it's not going to work it just feels like it's not going to work for him and the reality of saying that is probably going to get maybe Paddy mad or some other people mad but like you have to look at it and analyze that as well and we've seen you've seen it throughout the years you've been covering MMA for a long time we've seen the likes of Roger Huerta and Brandon Vera and other people who came in it's like oh this guy is going to be the next guy and he just isn't it now I don't know what the reasons are for all of that but they didn't become that and Paddy Pimblett is it feels like he is that, but from like the fighting ability point of view, but also from the likability point of view, it's not been a great few months for Paddy, has it? It hasn't. And the weirdest part of it to me is the coming out after surgery and saying, I want to fight Jared Gordon again. Like when the fight ended, you were screaming and shouting about it wasn't close. I won that going away. Yada, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. Now, three months later, four months later, you're saying, well, I'd like to fight him again and and show just how different, whatever it is. That to me feels like a unintentional acknowledgement of, you know, you've hit your ceiling. You know, you know that if you don't pick a fight with somebody that you think you can beat, you're going to get handed a fight with somebody that could very well beat you more convincingly than Jared Gordon beat you in New York city. And that's just, you start getting into, you mentioned all the, all the sort of swings and misses in the lead up to that fight. And since that fight, it just feels like for you and I, and and people that follow this sport closely, we've already hit our patty saturation point. And it feels to me like if he doesn't get back out there, 
you know, before, before New York, before November, then he's going to reach that point where all this buzz, all this momentum that he had, or, or maybe still has really starts to wane because there's just so much else going on and you can only, you know, maintain it through talk for so long. And the talk hasn't been great lately. And so I wish him all the best in his recovery. I hope he can be back in the octagon inside of six months because I think he really needs that. I mean, we're on the verge of April here. It will be April when this comes out. And so six months would be October, which, you know, to go 11 months without a fight, that would be 11, October would be 11 months without a fight. There goes all the momentum. Like, sure, he will still have the Barstool people behind him. He will still have that legion of fans that love and support him right now to the hilt. But if you go out there and you get stuck in with somebody like an Alexander Hernandez or a Jamie Malarkey or, you know, Matt Frivola wanted that fight. Matt Frivola is now fighting Drew Dober, which tells you where sort of Patty's in the range of and None of those fights sound good to me if I'm Patty Pimblett. And so I get wanting to pick a fight with a guy you had a very close battle with and trying to find one of these names that you can throw out there as the like, let me get this guy. But there's a whole host of people because you've built that momentum and you built that star power that are calling you out, that are capable of putting you out. So you better get healthy and get out here and, and get a victory so you can keep calling the shots and, and benefiting from this popularity because the minute it goes, that's it. It feels like they could make that Terrence McKinney fight now. They're like, Terrence looked very bad, 100%. I thought, in his last fight, like horrendously bad in his last fight. But that guy is dangerous. Like you mentioned Drew, Drew Dober. Look what he almost did to Drew Dober. Like there's very few easy fights for someone with Paddy Pimblett's ability in the UFC. But yeah. look, anyway, we'll, we'll move on from him. It's a, a topic we're going to talk about a lot. Let's talk about the welterweights because obviously we just had the big welterweight title fight. Leon Edwards uh, secured his title, defeating Kamaru Usman uh, in what was uh, a closer fight on the cards, I think, uh, or could have been than it was in reality. I think Leon Edwards was the better fighter in that. I hate point deductions. Everyone knows that. It could have made it a draw. He scored it a draw. But there's no doubt about Leon Edwards being the better fight. So he, fighter. So he moves on. Kamaru Usman steps back and Kobe Covington comes in and is now fighting for it. Again, like I, I feel like Bilal was the obvious next choice. Um, if Hamza was probably the obvious next choice, if we're being honest, but he can't make one seventy anymore. or Whatever, that's grand. He moves can't on get into the United States. Can he not? Is that an issue? No. Oh, okay. Warlord associations make it difficult ah, to get sure into look. countries that have sanctions against warlords. Oh, oh, they should be kicking Usman out, so because he's an association with him as well. But anyway, uh, you know, can Ali can Ali Abdelaziz not leave the United States off? He couldn't get back in. I have no idea. No, that's an issue, isn't it? Anyway, um, the call, look, the Colby fight. The way everyone's talked to that ad nauseum now at this stage, I don't know that we go need to go into it much anymore. The one thing I would say about that though is, I think it'd be a good fight. Honestly, like I think yeah. Colby puts a lot of problems on Edwards. If we forget about the reasoning behind it, because we've all talked yeah, about that. Yeah, see, this is the thing, right? Yeah. We we all get so caught up, and, and understandably, in the shtick and the doesn't deserve it. Fine. Agreed. I've been tired of the Colby Covington act since before it started. 
And yeah, I want to see people win fights and earn their way into championship opportunities. I feel terrible for Bilal Muhammad. But like to sit here and pretend that Colby Covington isn't a good fighter. Like Dana White got a bunch of grief this week when he came out and did the like, if Kamaru Usman didn't exist, Colby Covington has probably been champion for a long time. That's Colby Covington nearly beat Kamaru Usman on two different occasions Mm -hmm. and is a really great fighter. Now, would he be the champion? Who knows? You want to go down those roads? Probably. But but he'd have a very good opportunity. And we need to not sit here and pretend that Colby Covington isn't a good fighter, isn't going to be a tough assignment for Leon Edwards. It sucks how it's come about, but it's still going to be an interesting fight. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. What do you do with the rest of that division then, though? Because, like, we, we have Burns and uh, Masvidal coming up here soon. Like, Masvidal's down at number 11 now. Does that actually do much for Burns winning that fight? It's... And he's definitely going to win it. Like, we all know that. It's an easy fight for, for Burns. Like, that probably, like, what, what I don't know what happens. Do you do Burns versus Bilal? Because Bilal was talking to Dana. It looked like whatever was happening was happening. You know, Shavkat is there. They wanted to do Shavkat versus Bilal, it looks like. That's a very tough fight for Bilal. But at least if you do that right, you get the number one contender. Because if, if, and I think that's probably what the UFC are hoping, that Shavkat you beats know. Bilal. I, I think you do. I think you do. Because, like... Okay, maybe not if Colby beats Edwards because he wouldn't know what the fuck Colby will do if he beats Edwards. But if Edwards wins, like I think he'll just fight like the next guy coming up there. It's look, it's a difficult one to know. But there's so much talent in that division. Again, like I didn't mention it lightweight, but I always do mention it that lightweight. There's so many good guys in that division. They're kind of they all maybe have lost to one of the other ones, and it kind of holds them back maybe a, a little bit at times, you know. And I I feel like. I feel like there are a few fights to be made. It does, It is the type of division that the Covington and Edwards fight might be good for it in terms of the other ones might actually, you know, put themselves in a position, like whether it's Burns, whether it's uh, uh, Bilal, whether it's Rachmanov to actually be the next guy. And then maybe Sean Brady can get a win or two, come back. Maybe Jack Della Maddalena keeps going forward and gets a few wins. Maybe Ian Gary comes into that the top of that division after the Daniel Rodriguez fight. Maybe fights, you know, a, a, a Luke, I know they're teammates, but like maybe a Jeff Neal or someone like that and puts himself forward as well to be the next guy after the next guy. And we go on and we go forward. So there, there's plenty of of uh, strength and depth there at 170. Um, and if it all goes to plan, it could be great, but like probably won't all go to plan, will it? Probably not. And I think part of the reason is that there's going to be an Irish spanner thrown into the works. Should he get through Michael Chandler? You and I both know that if Conor McGregor defeats Michael Chandler, he is looking at that title and being like, well, I'm going to go get a third belt. I, I wonder, as part of that as well, right? Leon Edwards, he's with Tim Simpson, his manager, isn't he? And Correct. Tim Simpson left Formerly Paradigm, Paradigm and brought a lot of fighters with him. And Conor McGregor, I think, he like, is Conor McGregor an investor in Paradigm? I think he is, isn't he? But, like, he's, that's, you know, loyalty is the most important thing in the world to Conor McGregor. And I, I haven't heard anything. I've no inside info. He hasn't said it. But I, I don't think he could be too happy about that. I just... Is there a bit of heat between we, him and Leon? I have no idea, but, I mean... We've seen for years now that athletes at the top of their weight classes, guys with big gold belts over their shoulders, constantly look to that fight for good reason. 
it is the money fight still to this day, despite Connor's struggles of late and clearly not being the guy that he was at UFC 205. And so if he goes out and gets an impressive win over Michael Chandler and Leon Edwards defends this belt successfully against Colby Covington sometime later this year, my guess is that the timelines will probably come pretty close to lining up. Can that be a thing that you're looking at? And this is me advanced booking more than a year out. I mean, either that, either, either March somewhere in that region, your region, or could you really hold it out for UFC 300 in Las Vegas international fight week? Conor McGregor fighting for the welterweight title. Stack a bunch of really big fights behind it. (laughs) Let Ian, let Ian Gary, as he, as he said recently, headline a return to Dublin. If he's continuing to progress forward and just go big fight. And again, this sucks for people like Bilal Muhammad. This sucks for people like maybe not Jack Della Maddalena as much, but Shavkat Rachmanov who are going to, and have already earned their way into position where merit dictates they should be getting big fights. But we also have Gilbert Burns fighting Jorge Masvidal in a week's time in a situation where like, I'm, I've been over the Jorge Masvidal thing for a while now. I don't think many people are still holding on to it. I know Ian threw it out as, as one of the fights that he was thinking about down the road of like, why don't I headline Dublin against Jorge Masvidal? It's like, cause Jorge Masvidal will be 37 and on a four fight losing streak. Like that's not interesting. I'm not in any way. I mean, I'd be interested in it just to see him face a veteran of that caliber, but like, look for something better, kid. Look for something more. But yeah, I got a feeling that there's a Conor McGregor wrench that gets thrown into this at some yeah. point. The whole Ian Gary Masvidal, and I, I thought McGregor Masvidal thing as well. Like, I know some people, certain people, like, you know, they open their mouths and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. That that's our thing. But I'm with you on Masvidal. I'm like, well, like, I was surprised to hear Ian saying that, and I, I don't know, you know, I, I read it, and I'm, I, I was like, Ian's like a real fighter, like, and he's always wanted to be a real fighter. Like, do you really want to fight some part timer who's like, you know, had a good six month run and then faded away out again? Like, and I, I yeah, that's. It would be way me. more impressive to me if he goes out, beats Daniel Rodriguez, which is a tough fight. A hundred percent. It's a. It's a tough assignment. I love that he's taking it. Like, I love that he's he's looking for a challenge like that. I'd be way more impressed if he went out, won that fight, beat somebody like Michael Chiesa, beat somebody like Jeff Neal, as you mentioned, a Michelle Pejea, even a Jack Della Maddalena. Like, if you want to do oh, Della and Ian Gary to see who oh, goes forward as these young ascending welterweights and you give them that fight night main event slot sort of like we did last year with Saryukin and Gamrot when people weren't necessarily hip to how good they were then fine do that but I would rather see that than him kind of chase this this big faded name in, in Jorge Masvidal I could not agree more what a fight that Jack Dillon and Alini and Gary fight could be but I feel like that's a fight we will maybe in, see in, in Gary Wonderboy yeah I'd love to see I, I think Ian Gary versus Gunny Nelson makes a ton of sense I think that makes a ton of sense, but 
I don't know. People were giving out to me over that one. Oh, they're friends. They're not friends. Ian Gary hated SBG fucking a year ago. Like, what are people talking about? I, I don't know. Anyway, go on. We'll move on. Middleweight. Hey, my favorite division. Uh, middleweight, you know what, right? We have Pereira versus Adesanya in this bitter quadrology, kind of. Uh, is Whitaker going to fight Shemaev? Because it felt like to me like that's what people were kind of half talking about. In a, in a fight that I was t- called an idiot for uh, only a few weeks ago. But it's, okay, the fact that Pereira is a champion now makes a little bit less sense than when Adesanya was the champion because, obviously, Whitaker's lost Adesanya a couple of times. So if Pereira beats Adesanya again, then Whitaker should probably be the number one contender not to go full Colby Covington on and running here. If Adesanya didn't exist, who'd be the champion at middleweight? Then automatically Whitaker's going to get the rematch if Dana White stays consistent, isn't he? You know, or, or the, not the rematch, but the next tile shot if Pereira wins. But, like, I love that fight between Shemaev and Whitaker if it happens. I see some people talking about um, Paulo Costa against Shemaev. Look, sure, maybe. I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. We know who's going to win that fight. You know, that's not a competitive fight, so I don't really want to see that too much. Uh, but, like... The prob- Look, Vittori, I think, has improved an awful lot. I actually like Vittori as a fighter now. I think he's a prick as a human being, similar to Colby as well. But after that, like, Costa's shown he's not good enough. Cannoneer's not good enough. Du- Duplessis will sh- soon show he's not good enough. Sean Strickland, you know, Derek Brunson, the, yeah, etc. Et uh, even the <laughs> up-and-coming guys like Imavov, Mooney's, Chris Curtis those lads have had setbacks and kind of shown that they're not going to reach that level in the short term either. It just feels like we have the top three guys. Vittori maybe coming back, maybe deserves another shot at some stage, especially if it's not the same champion again. And Shemaev. And after that, we are having big issues. What, what, play it out for us. What do you think it happens at the very top of that division? I mean, I, I hope it's what you said. I hope it's Robert Whitaker and, and Hamzat Chemaev because I would like to see that fight. I would like to see Whitaker against the test of that level. I would like to see Chemaev against a test of that level. Because as you said, Paulo Costa fighting Chemaev, we know, we know what happens. We know how that plays out. Jared Cannonier, we kind of know how that plays out. And so that's the fight I would like to see. And then the rest of it is just like we are we are forever stuck in sameness at middleweight. It is the same set of guys at the upper, at the upper end of things. And it will get even worse if Israel Adesanya regains the title in a couple of weeks time in Miami, because then we'll just be into a trilogy fight there and another year of these same guys fighting these same guys. Like I would not be surprised if Marvin Vittori's next fight is against Jared Cannonier because they haven't fought each other yet and they're right next to each other in the rankings. Drickus Duplessis is probably going to, like, Duplessis is probably going to end up with Paulo Costa or Jared Cannonier or Marvin Vittori, and it's just going to be continued sameness. And then the struggle, as you said, is that we haven't had any of that new blood really take that step forward. So Roman Delize stumbled against Marvin Vittori, Nasruddin Amavov stumbled at the start of the year against Sean Strickland. Brendan Allen has had a nice little run of things, beat Andre Muniz earlier this year. He's got a fight with Jack Hermanson. Maybe he's figured it out, but he's already got a couple losses 
to people ahead of him in the division, including Sean Strickland. But then again, sort of similar to what we were talking about way back with bantamweight is there's not really anybody women's bantamweight. I should say there's not really anybody in that 25 to 28 range outside of maybe Brendan Allen that you look at and go, yeah, but this guy's coming. This person's on the rise and give them two or three more fights and, and they'll be a problem because at the most it's like, could me, how will get there? Probably not. We saw him struggle at light heavyweight and get Von flued by OSP. Like that's, that's not really a, an inspiring result. Christian Leroy Duncan. Christian Leroy Duncan is the one that stands out, but like needs to get fights, needs to get opportunities and has, I certainly think he has the talent. And as we said on the preview show, you and Harry were like, nope, to the moon. And I was like, I want to just take my time. I want to just see him get these opportunities. There may not be time to just slow play this. Like he may have to just jump into something here, get a quick turnaround because things went the way they did in London with a knee injury for Dusko Todorovich, get a quick turnaround against another sort of mid-pack veteran and then start fighting your way up and, and see if you can go on a real quick run. That would be great. It'd be a great story for the division, but I don't know, man. Like I think in this division as well, he's one of few. Yeah. They're like Duplessis had a great run in KSW, right? And has done a lot of what we want Christian Eri Duncan to do now in the UFC already outside of the UFC. So he's ready to put himself in that position. I think Chidi and Jaquani is another guy there, but he, you know, he lost last week in, in a in a close decision as well. And that was kind of a pity because I think he is one of those guys that could be, uh, you know, go and do a Sean Strickland type of, of career and get himself into a higher position. But then we have Bo Nickel, you know, who, what I think of Christian Neroy Duncan, Americans probably think of, of Bo Nickel with a lot less uh, proof that I have. <laughs> it's true throw it's true that's very throw, well said throw him in there put him right in there right at the top in his next fucking fight let's do it like why what are we waiting for what are we waiting for put him in there in his next fight against Derek brunson put him in there against sean strickland put him in there against andre muniz give him some unranked put him right like i don't believe in doing that all the time right and i believe in almost never doing it but if you're talking about sending a guy to the moon like you are with Bo Nickel, let's fucking do it. Like, the weird thing about that division is the champion is probably an easier matchup for Bo Nickel than a lot of those other guys I just named. Well, oddly, yeah. you know, because he's such a deficiency uh, in wrestling or a perceived one, uh, at least. I think you have an opportunity to do it with this guy. He's built the hype. He has the wrestling background and all. Let's go and let's do it. Like, let's do it. Worst case scenario, he loses one fight and go, okay, we moved him too quickly. Three years time, he's back in there. Right. You know? So, I, I think that's what they should. But anyway, we'll move on from Middlewest. We'll spend the, the day talking about it. Light heavyweight. Is is Hill versus Prahachka going to happen next? It feels like they're staring off at every fucking event. It feels like they're always, they're like a body cop film going around or something, the two of these lads. Is Prahachka back healthy? Is he ready? Is he going to fight Hill next? I mean, he should. That's what we were told when he relinquished the title is that whenever he comes back, he gets the next shot. I don't know. I haven't heard definitively that he's back and he's ready and he's training and all of these things. But like we have, we have built to this and, and we're building to this even at the start of the year before Jamal Hill, your guy won the light heavyweight title. 
And so to do anything else right now, unless Yuri Prohashka is going to be out for another nine months would just feel like a mistake. Because as you said, we're showing Yuri Prohashka at every event that he's at. They had the lovely back and forth on social media when Yuri congratulated him. And then Jamal did the like similar video, the call and response videos to each other, which was great. Like I'm all for it because outside of those fellas, this division's looking a lot like middleweight to me. I think this division had a big issue, and that big issue was six people got a title shot in the space of two weeks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a big issue, because we, we give out about featherweight not having that, but if that happened to featherweight, it'd probably fuck it up as well, like, because Ankalaev and Blahovic did, I, I did, what was it, the Q&A last night? Or the last week, sorry. Uh, I was like, who did the two of them fight last? And I was like, oh yeah, they fought each other in a title fight, right. and it was a draw. And now, like, they're in some weird limbo. Anthony Smith right. is not going to be there. Rakic feels like he's been injured for the last seven years. Like, what's he going to do next? Johnny, Funnily, Johnny Walker is kind of the guy in a bit of Irish bias here, but it's kind of emerged here a little bit. Like, if Johnny Walker feels like if he gets a fight against one of those guys and wins it, he'll be the next guy, you know? Because, like, let's say they put Johnny Walker in there against Ankalaev. They put him in there against Blahovic or Rakic. He wins that fight. He's kind of the one on the streak. He's going to take their ranking, and he's, like, the most obvious kind of next guy. Like, Krilov is up there as well. Oldsmer. And, like, that doesn't say a lot for the division, as you were saying, because, like, it's kind of mad to think that, because Johnny has obviously given up a lot of fights recently and everything like that, but he kind of is the only one on that kind of run at the moment. So that's... If you are, like... Blahovich. I mean, if he, beats, if he beats Anthony Smith in, in May, he's yeah, right there. Yeah, exactly. He's right there. Yeah. It'll it, be three straight wins and he'll be, he'll be right there and you can look at it. And like, we were talking at the, at the early outset of this, of like addressing wins and losses and going back through and doing good or bad or how they've aged. If he beats Anthony Smith and it's a three fight winning streak, then his last loss is Jamal Hill, who's currently the champion. So that one certainly doesn't look that bad. There's a loss to Tiago Santos. Fine. Fought for the title. Former former title challenger. Split decision against John Jones. He lost to Nikita Krilov, who is now a top five contender in this terrible division. He lost to Corey Anderson, who was in the championship mix and, and remains in the championship mix in Bellator. So, like, his losses haven't aged that poorly. They've, they've actually aged relatively well. And if he puts up a victory over a former title challenger – and Anthony Smith in, in a month's time gets a third straight win, then he's right there just by process of elimination. I what do you think about my, my, my two Brazilian boys who I love, Kyle Bahalio and Jalton Almeida. Now we kind of got through three divisions with the two of them because they're both, you know, one's a heavyweight light heavyweight, one's a middleweight light heavyweight kind of job. I was kind of surprised to see that Bahalio isn't ranked. Here, uh, Jalton Almeida is ranked at heavyweight, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just look again. He is ranked number 12, so that's pretty good. But, like, I feel like at middleweight, like, a guy like Cabajalio is someone you should be putting some behind, or even Almeida, uh, you know, and and moving these guys forward, because they seem like they're actually, like, really good, or, uh, you know, whichever weight class it's at, and... I don't know. Uh, are those the sort of fighters? So Ohio's got a fight at the end of the month against yeah. Mihal Olishechuk, who I mentioned earlier as as okay. sort of one of those maybe guys. Oh, where does that middleweight? Who is middleweight? Okay. That's at middleweight. And so the winner of that one becomes sort of the 
young-ish emerging name at middleweight alongside the couple of people that we mentioned primarily, Bo Nickel as the most obvious, obvious emerging name. Jailton Almeida, to me, and, and Harry and I talked about this after his win at UFC 284 in, in January, like, just go to light heavyweight, man. Like, just, like, I get not wanting to cut weight and not having to cut weight, and as we've already said, fuck weight cutting. But, like, just get to 205. You'll be in the top 10 today, and you can probably ragdoll a bunch of those dudes and be in the title picture within a year, if not shorter. Because he seems like the real deal. He seems like, but like, is he going to continue manhandling some of the gigantic, talented, athletic heavyweights that are out there? There's, there's talented, mean, athletic heavyweights? What? Where, where, where are these lads? <laughs> I don't know. Like, do you really think he's going to go out and, and ragdoll Alexander Volkov? Is he going to ragdoll yes. Tom Aspinall? Is mm. he going to out-wrestle Curtis Blades? Like... I feel like there's a ceiling for Almeida at at heavyweight that I don't see as much as prominently at light heavyweight. I don't know do I agree with that because like Well listen, you're also the fellow that wanted to give out on Sergey Spivak and he's now charging up the ranks. So never, never heard of him. I I just <laughs> it's like do you know what? I love a good callback. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Heavyweight and light heavyweight is like deciding which fucking shade of shit you like better. Like <laughs> that's it. that's what it is. Like it's just no. I like heavyweight. Uh, I think heavyweights at least at least it's big meaty men throwing around meaty men. It is at times, but like who who's uh, out of those names you mentioned there, right? Until you get to Aspinall and Blades, I'm like, well, he probably could throw around Volkov. Yeah, he probably he definitely maybe, throw around. Maybe he could, but it's but it's a test, right? It's a it it's is. a good challenge. We've seen Volkov these last couple fights be a little more aggressive, be a little more sort of go out and put it on you, get you out of there, which has been really nice to see. But but at least it's a test. But I think there's a ceiling, and if you're a guy that's 30 years old already, that looks really looks like you could be something light heavyweight just feels like the the more obvious path to me and so maybe that's your guy kyle bohio going up maybe yeah do you think john jones could do that to all of those ads we just mentioned ragdoll them and throw them around yeah 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 why couldn't yeah why couldn't almeida then like i think he's more of a heavyweight than john jones is but I also think that John Jones has far more technical skill, far more fight IQ, far more preparation, all of those things, and a far greater ability in terms of gas tank, understanding his, his management of, of output and all of those things that come from years and years and years. I mean, a decade of being an elite competitor. That yeah. gives him that advantage. Asking the question, why, why is John Jones better than someone? Why is John Jones better than someone? All of those things. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I look as I said, asking why John Jones is better than someone is definitely a stupid question. But I also, I like Almeida. I think he's really good. I think. So do I. I think he could do in both divisions. If I'm being honest, like I think he's that good. But I mean, I was advocating for like let's just get him in there after he beat Shamil Abdurahimov. Like let's skip. I think he's facing Jarzinho next. And I, my opinion was like, let's just skip that one and get him in with 
whoever it is now, it, it doesn't seem that far off to say Alexander Volkanovsky as if it's a great big, huge, huge leap from Jarzinho to Alex Volkanovsky, but or not Volkanovsky, <laughs> Alexander Volkov. I've done that so many times. <laughs> but, but at least Volkov beat Jarzinho, beat him handily in the first round and has sort of had that topped out at the elite contender stage of things. And so, yeah, I, I, I think he's somebody that we're going to see get those opportunities in Almeida. I just don't know how far he can go. I mean, the thing we need is for, for Tom Aspinall to get healthy and get back because he's the really intriguing one here. Let's finish it on the aforementioned John Jones because I, I think a lot of people, right, when they've talked about John Jones, obviously look, the Stipe fight is next and that'll bring a challenge, I'm sure. And I'm looking forward to seeing that, you know, the greatest heavyweight of all time against, you know, the top three, top five greatest fighters of all times in, in John Jones. Let's, just look past that for a second, because we'll do a lot of analysis on that. You, you kind of talked about the next guys coming through, the, the Pavloviches, the Curtis Blades, the Aspinals. I think a lot of people will probably look at Blades and, As- and, uh, and Pavlovich and that and have after the John Jones fight. I actually think the likes of Aspinal and others, like even I saw Josh Gross saying it about Volkov, the, the challenges he presents. I think those are kind of interesting because like a big, long, tall guy like Volkov, even though he's not good, John Jones would win that fight. But the Aspinal fight, like he's very good on the ground. He's good jiu-jitsu. He is a very, very good striker with power. And so that's the type of fight that I would like. Like I'd pick John Jones to win all these fights handily, but that's more of the fight I'd be interested in than like, is like a basic wrestler with an overhand and Curtis Blades going to beat him? I would say almost certainly not. Like uh, Pavlovich is, you know, a good fighter, but like, did he just lose there recently or am I gone mad? Or is he still on his winning You're streak? You're gone mad. I ain't gone mad. Who was it the last? <sighs> Tai Tuivasa. No, there was a lot of... Sergey Pavlovich knocked out oh. Tai Tuivasa. Was it Romanov um, that last? Was it, I always get the mix. Romanov, your, Romanov. your guy Romanov lost oh, a couple sorry. weeks ago to my to my guy Alexander Volkov. Um, <laughs> exactly so. But like for John Jones, I, 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 do you know what? I'm excited to see John Jones fight all these guys. But I don't know, am I like... I was massively excited for Jones versus Gagne. we massively excited for Jones versus Ngannou if that was going to happen. But I don't know, am I going to be like massively technically excited for any of these John Jones fights, to be honest. I don't... There's nothing really there. Nothing. I'm, I'm massively excited for Pavlovich, Curtis Blades, Tom Aspinall. Those are the three for me that I would be really excited for. I think he wins all of them. Obviously, I would pick him. He would be the favorite. All of those things. I'd be interested to see how he deals with the power of a guy like Pavlovich, who is a gigantic human being just in every... He is a block of granite and hits like one. I'd be interested in Curtis Blades, who is a tremendous wrestler. So that wrestling advantage that John has over just about everybody becomes an interesting piece to me. And Aspinall, as you said, an athletic guy, wrestles well, grapples well, got, has power, moves well. Those are all interesting fights to me. I'm less interested in the Stipe Miocic fight. Like, it's... I don't think it's... I don't think it's all that competitive. And maybe I'm wrong. And and look, I hope I'm wrong. I hope we get one hell of a championship fight. But I don't think it's all that competitive, given what we just saw from John against Cyril Gaon and what we've seen of John in his past past existence at light heavyweight. Like, 
Stephen Miocic hasn't fought in a couple of years, and he's 41. And I just, I just don't know what he brings to the table right now that is a big, big threat to John Jones. If you, if you want to tell me it's the power, if you want to tell me it's the boxing and he, he finds that chin, sure, I'll hear it. I look forward to seeing it. But I just think John Jones goes out there, takes him down, and, and wins this fight rather handily. I'm looking at 15 guys here in front of me below John Jones in the rankings, and there's only one I think could beat John Jones. Only one. And John Jones just beat him in two minutes a week ago or two <laughs> weeks ago. He's the only one I think can beat him. Like, if it stays on the feed, if he, you know, six months of sprawl training becomes American, <laughs> he's the he's the only one I think can beat him. None yeah. of the rest of them. Like, Aspinall is good, but I don't think he's beating John Jones. You know, maybe I need to go back and watch a bit more Pavlovich. Like, he, he's a guy who I forget he exists until we he We just fights. haven't seen enough, right? Yeah. Like, it's just been, he's he's blown through the the guys that stood in his way. Like after that Alistair Overeem debut, he beat a couple of guys that are no longer in the UFC. And then it was just taking out sort of guys that had numbers next to their name that he was obviously going to take out. Beating Tai Tuivasa, I thought was an unimpressive win just because Tai was coming off some overall good results. Obviously the loss to, to Ganya before that fight, but that was a good win. That was one that made me do the like, okay, hang on a minute. This dude, this dude might be something. We'll see here. He's facing Curtis Blades pretty soon um, in in about three weeks' time. So that'll determine some things. That'll show us where the wrestling's at. That'll show us where the overall ability against these really established upper upper tier heavyweights is at. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I thought, as we all did on the preview show, save for Ian O'Neill, that Ganya was going to be the guy that, that beats John Jones and I still think same as you. I still think he could, but it's going to take some obvious changes and some obvious improvements and probably, you know, two years to get back to that fight. If he, if he even can, if John even looks at it and goes, yeah, that's something I want to do down the road again. Indeed. Right. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Is there anything, anyone we forgot, anyone we didn't mention? I'm looking through a few of the names here, the Basharat brothers. Just want to give them a mention. I think they're, Two lads uh, that are very, very good and on the way up. Uh, there's, there's, there's probably a lot. There's probably a lot that we forgot to mention. A lot of people that we didn't, uh, you know, that we didn't get to. But it, it just feel like we are in a very good position in the, at the moment in the UFC where there's a lot of moving going on. There's a lot of shaking going on. There's a lot of like every division. We almost have certainty nearly on who's going to be next or kind of where we're going to next, or else it's kind of just happened. So. I, th- I think that's a good place for the UFC to be in the state of the UFC at the moment. From a fight point of view, we can talk about everything else in another day, but I think it's it's pretty good. Is there anyone else you wanted to mention there, uh, Spencer, that we kind of left out or anything? I mean, the one guy that I will shout out that, that sort of always goes undiscussed to me in that lightweight division is Grant Dawson, who's 7-0-1 in the UFC and just keeps keeps getting victories and keeps improvement keeps improving, keeps moving forward. I hope he gets a big opportunity later this year. You mentioned the Basharat brothers, obviously they're a, a Troika with, with Amir Albazi, who's got a big fight coming up. Like I echo everything you said, we're in a good position. Every division has most, every division has some good emerging names coming forward, has some established contenders that we're going to see really great fights at the top end really good fights in the middle of each of these divisions that set us up, hopefully, ideally, 
for a terrific close to this year. What's we'll end on this? What's the one big fight you're looking forward to? What you know closest to your mind now? I, I'll give you my one if you want time to think because I actually looked through these last night. Uh, Arnold Allen versus Max Holloway. We're not too far away from it. I think it's such a great fight. It's it's a massive fight for Max Holloway because he needs to win it to keep that position in the division, you know. And for Aaron Lallan, he needs to win it to earn that title shot. Like if Aaron Lallan wins that, he's like he he's the de facto next guy in that division. Even though there are two other guys who are going to fight for the belt, and it puts him in a great position where he can sit out and he can wait until Kingdom come to get that title shot. Because if you beat beat Max Holloway, that's what it means for you. You know, we've talked about Aaron Lallan uh, already, put I just feel like we needed to mention him again, but that is the fight I, I'm looking forward to. What's uh, what's your one? I mean, that one's up there, but I I always have that little bit of trepidation that that somebody that I I think has merited a championship opportunity and Arnold Allen already gets gets stuck in the Max Holloway meat grinder because Max is is truly that good. I'm really looking forward, and it pains me to say this. I'm really looking forward to Henry Cejudo's return. He was he looked so good on his way sort of out the door in those last couple of fights in beating DJ in getting the, the bantamweight title. Well, maybe beating DJ. Alleged, allegedly, right. according to two uh, judges. Asterisk, asterisk beating DJ. <laughs> with a bad shoulder. Um, with a bad shoulder. Getting the bantamweight title, defending the bantamweight title. So I'm really looking forward to that one because I think it's a, it's a really compelling style matchup to me with Aljamain Sterling, just in terms of the grappling and the wrestling and all of those things. So that's, certainly there and then whenever it comes together alexander volkanovsky and yair rodriguez you said it earlier in the show volk might be the best fighter in his division the best champion on the roster right now i love him to pieces i love seeing him compete so get me alex volkanovsky later this year whenever it is it's not on the calendar yet but i'm already looking forward to it connor versus chandler as well we can't forget about that plus Paul Hughes. When's Paul Hughes getting into the UFC? Come on, everyone. Let's get Paul Hughes into the UFC. Let's do a tweet down away. Paul Hughes in the UFC. Let's do that. So, uh, yeah. All right. We'll leave it there. Spencer, it was how long? An hour and 41 minutes. Just about normally what about we do. Standard you know, about standard for us. About standard for us, indeed. Um, I really enjoyed it. I love doing these. And I believe it was the most listened to podcast last year, which usually the non normal weekly podcasts you know if we let's say we put in an interview we do a special podcast it usually gets like half the listens of <laughs> the other podcasts but the people love this show and uh, I love doing it. I know you love doing it too so uh, I am very appreciative of having you and your knowledge on here you're absolutely brilliant and I appreciate everything everyone listening as well uh, if you aren't following us on Twitter please do follow me at Shanshee at Spencer Kite over on Twitter. Actually, don't follow me. Follow at Severe May as well, at Severe May Pod. Follow us on Instagram. Sabinter is over there on Instagram as well. Check out all his work. You'll find all of that on Twitter. Check out the takeaways on Patreon, on YouTube as well, every Tuesday. Tuesday. And the Q&A on a Wednesday. Speaker's Corner on a Thursday. We so much stuff. The old triangle. Check it all out. There's some great stuff on all uh, YouTube. Spencer's taking over to YouTube. Everything on it. Some great uh, Makayev interview is brilliant. The uh, the Simon Simon says so. Cameron Simon interview was absolutely brilliant as well. We've a Lee Hammond interview up. There's so much stuff at the moment on uh, the YouTube and all over the platforms. Spencer, Harry, Ian, uh, the rest of the lads doing absolutely brilliant work. So uh, shout out to all of them and uh, Graham for keeping us going as well. Shout out to Graham's knee as well for being shit. We will be back 
next week with a normal podcast. And uh, thank you to everyone for tuning in. Good night. God bless. We'll see you all next time.